we kicked off this series by learning that one of the names that Jesus is going to be called is Wonderful Counselor. And we saw that Jesus is a wonder. At just the mention of his name, our hearts and our souls should be filled with wonder. And we should be in wonder that he would leave the comforts of heaven and take on flesh. We should wonder that he would start with such humble beginnings in a stable. And we should wonder at his life and at his teachings. We should wonder at his great love for us that drove him to the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus is a wonder. Last week we invited you to pray a simple prayer every day. Jesus, I'm ready to see your wonder. Have you guys been praying that prayer this week? If not, I just want to remind you, it's not too late. I encourage you to pray that this week. I encourage you to recapture some of the wonder that you had when you first began a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we have to be intentional about that because it's so easy to lose that wonder in our fast-paced life and when things get monotonous or when things get routine, right? You know, many of you know that my wife and I live out on the highway between Minden and Wellsville, And I still remember when we drove out to look at the house when it was for sale over 20 years ago now. And we pulled up and and we kind of looked out over the valley and we looked behind us and the Wellsvilles were just right in our face. It was really the first time we had been up close to the Wellsvilles, if you're here in the valley, and we were just blown away. We were in awe. We were in wonder at how beautiful they were. But over 20 years have come and gone now and we see them multiple times every day driving to and from the house you know, endless trips into Logan or over to Hiram for school-related activities. And to be honest with you, most of the time, I don't even notice the Wellsvilles anymore. But every now and then, particularly at night, if the moon is bright, I'll turn just north of Tom's service station there in Wellsville, and I'm heading west, and the Wellsvilles just jump out from the valley floor. And if there's snow up on the top, it looks like they're just miles away, the peaks. And I just slow down, as long as nobody's behind me. <laughs> I just slow down in the car and I just take them in and I just wonder at them. I just stand there in awe at God's creation and at how beautiful they are. See, my prayer is for you and me that in the fast pace of this Christmas season, that you and I would slow down, that we'd gaze on Jesus and that we'd be filled with wonder. That we'd be filled with so much wonder that would take our breath away. Well, today we're going to focus on the second name of Jesus in this description, and that's that he will be called Mighty God. He will be called Mighty God. Now, before we dig deeper into this passage and the ramifications that he will be called Mighty God, this series in general has had me thinking about the significance of names, right? It's all about the names of Jesus. And so I I was curious, like, what are the most popular names now? Does anybody have any idea what the most popular girl's name was in 2019? Anybody have a guess? It was Olivia. The most popular boy's name in 2019 was Liam. In 2018, Emma was the most popular girl's name. And Liam, again, was the most popular boy's name. In fact, Liam has been the most popular boy's name in the United States three years in a row. And Emma has been the most popular girl's name five out of the last six years. And one thing that I noticed on this list as I was going through it is that any time a name was number one on the list, it was almost always number one for at least two or three years in a row. Because names for us have become trendy, right? It's about what's popular. 
But in biblical times, names had meaning. Names were significant. So as we go through this series on the names of Jesus, and we see that He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, I hope that that will expand your understanding of just how amazing He is. So let's go ahead and dig into Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Today we're going to focus on that second description of Jesus, Mighty God. Now, the original Hebrew word that's used there is El Gibor. And it really means, most literally, God is a mighty warrior. And so there's a, there's a connotation of military power and strength in this name. In fact, in the Old Testament, almost every other time we see this name used, it's used to describe a soldier or a warrior. Now, this doesn't just talk about Jesus' raw power, although it's part of it, but it actually speaks to the very identity of Jesus. And so here's the first thing that we see when we look at this name, and that's that Jesus is God. Even as a helpless infant, He was and is the mighty God who created the universe and rose from the dead. I want you to think about what a powerful statement Isaiah is making here. Isaiah is saying that the Messiah, that Jesus, will be identified as God is a mighty warrior. He's making this prophecy over 700 years before Jesus is born, and he's saying that Jesus is God. And Isaiah is not the only one who made this claim. Jesus himself would make this claim. In fact, this is Jesus talking in John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, the Father and I are one. It's a pretty bold claim. And it's not the only place in Scripture that Jesus made that claim. In fact, in John 14, verse 9, Jesus told his disciple Philip, he said, Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And on the night that Jesus was on trial before the religious leaders, he knew that it would send them into an uproar, into a frenzy when he told them before Abraham was, I am. He knew the consequences of that statement. He knew they would accuse him of blasphemy. And as they started accusing him, he could have said, no, wait, 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 that's not what I meant. You misunderstood. But that is what he meant. Jesus clearly claimed to be God. Not only did Jesus claim to be God, but Jesus received worship as God. We see this in John chapter 20, verse 28. It says, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Now this verse comes to us from the passage where Jesus appears the second time to his disciples after the resurrection in the locked room. And so if you remember the story, the first time that Jesus appeared, Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the risen Christ. Thomas said, no way. I don't believe it. In fact, the only way I will believe it is if I put my fingers in the nail wounds in his hands and if I put my hand into his side. Then as they're speaking out of nowhere, Jesus appears in the room. He says, Thomas, put your finger on my hands and put your hand in my side and stop doubting. And so when Thomas does this, he falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't correct him. 
Jesus didn't say, no, hold on, Thomas. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a great rabbi, but let's not get carried away. I'm not God. No, he received worship as God. And that's not the only time Jesus did that. If you think about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem before his crucifixion, right? The crowds are lining the streets and they're worshiping him and they're bowing down to him. And the religious leaders criticized Jesus. They said, why don't you stop them from worshiping you? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if they're quiet, the very rocks will cry out and worship. Jesus received worship as God because Jesus is God. See, not only did Jesus claim to be God and accept worship as God, but Jesus did things that only God can do. Look at the reaction of the religious leaders as they have an encounter where Jesus forgives sins. This comes to us from Mark chapter 2, verse 7. They said, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You know, they were right, at least in part. (laughs) Only God can forgive sins. Jesus didn't correct them on that. He didn't say, no, you've got it all wrong. Anyone can forgive sins. It's true. Only God can forgive sins. Now, you're probably familiar with this story of where this comes from in Mark chapter 2. This is the scene where friends lower a paralyzed man through the roof of a house because the crowds were so thick around the house to hear Jesus, they couldn't get in and they wanted their friend to be healed. And as they lowered him through the roof, Jesus saw the man and he saw the faith of their friends. And so he looked at the man and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now the religious leaders were there and they didn't say anything out loud, but in their hearts they were thinking what we just read. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he looked at them and he said, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, pick up, take your mat and walk? And then Jesus said, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, just so you know that I have the authority of God, he turned to the man and said, pick up your mat, go and walk home. And he was healed. Jesus claimed to have the authority of God because Jesus is God. He did things only God can do. So the bottom line, guys, is either Jesus is who he says he is or he isn't. And if he isn't, He was not a great moral teacher. He was a liar and a lunatic. I love the way C.S. Lewis articulates this in his book, Mere Christianity. He does a much better job of it than I do. This is a little long, but it's well worth the read. Lewis writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool You can spit at him and kill him as demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Friends, what we believe about Jesus Christ is the most significant decision any of us 
will ever make. He is mighty God. He claimed that. He received worship as God. And he did things that only God can do. See it again in Matthew 1, 23. Come on. Wait for it. There we go. Matthew 1, 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, when Matthew writes this in his gospel, he said it was to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament proclaim that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God on earth. Now, I know it's hard to wrap our head around how the God of the universe can be an infant, right? We don't think of infants as powerful. We think of them as helpless, right? I mean, they're, they're cute and cuddly, but they can't do much for themselves. So how, how does that work? In fact, as I was thinking about this, I've got some pictures I want to show you of some infants, some babies. And these aren't just any babies. These are babies that grew up to be relatively famous performers or entertainers. So let's see if you guys can kind of pick out who they are. Any idea who that might have grown up to be? If you're a country music fan, it's Blake Shelton. Kind of looks the same. How about the next one? Megan, I'm just going to have, there we go. This one's a little bit older. Any idea who that is? Megan, I'll just have you. There we go. I'm going to let you take over because it's so slow. Clint Eastwood. Okay, here's my favorite one. Here's the next infant one. Oh, we messed it up. Okay, that's the baby. So now you see it's our very own. Very own Lane Weaver. So when he comes back out here, you guys can, you guys can let him know you saw his baby picture. <laughs> but hey, now look, when these babies grew up, they grew up to be famous. They weren't born famous, with the exception of Lane. He's more like infamous. But, uh, but Jesus didn't grow up to be God. See, there was never a time when Jesus wasn't fully God. From before the world was created, it was Jesus who was the Word who spoke the world into existence. We read that in John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. So Jesus was always fully God. Now as Jesus grew, He began to reveal His divine power through His miracles. He turned water into wine. He healed people from incurable diseases, right? He raised people from the dead. And then all of these miracles led to the ultimate expression of his power, his resurrection, which conquered sin and death. Now, all that is amazing. And that alone should fill us with the wonder that we've talked about last week and a little bit this week. But, but there's more to it. There's more I want you to take away from today's message. There's something else that's just as amazing and wonderful. And that's that Jesus' power is available to you and me. He wants to open your eyes to truly understand how great his power is for us. See, the Bible promises us that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is available to you and me. And that's not something we have to wait until heaven to experience. That's something we have access to right here and right now. In fact, take a look at what the Apostle Paul says as he prays for the early church in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people 
who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for who? For us who believe in him. I love it that he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. So Paul's hope is that the early Christians would be enlightened to realities that most people don't see or don't understand. That they have access to the power of Jesus. And I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of the power of God that he has for you who believe in Jesus Christ. I pray that prayer for you. I pray that prayer for me. I mean, can you feel the gravity of that prayer as Paul prays that? That the power that allowed God to simply speak the world into existence is for us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Then Paul goes on to describe that power in more detail in verses 19 through 21. He says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. So the power that you and I have access to isn't just a little bit of power. It's not second-rate power. It's not a generic version of God's power. It's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And when we come to understand that, when our hearts are enlightened to that reality, we'll have hope. A hope that is stronger than anything this world can throw at us. We're going to look at life and we're going to look at ourselves in a very different way. So what does that mean for you and me right here, right now at the end of 2020? How do we take and apply this? Well, I want to look at two different areas where you might need hope. Two areas where the power of Jesus will make a difference in your life. So The first one is this, that Jesus gives us the power to press on. No matter how overwhelming things get, His power will carry you through as you rely on Him. Like, I know this is a very difficult time of the year for some of you. I know some of you are struggling right now. Some of you barely got here this morning. You're, you're struggling and you're juggling these different issues in your life and trials and hurts and wounds. And, and you're this close to coming unraveled. And I understand that. You know, maybe you're, you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's financial pressures. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with your kids. And then you take all that and you add the chaos of 2020 and, and COVID and isolation and people not being together, and it, it's overwhelming. And we need hope. We need power. But the great news is there is hope, and we have all the power that we need. Colossians 1.11 says it like this, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. So Paul says, and we're strengthened with God's glorious power, how much endurance and patience will we have? We'll have all the patience and endurance that we need. Not some of it, not most of it, we'll have all of it. Now, does that mean it's going to be easy? No. Jesus never promised it would be easy, but does that mean we know we can make it through? Absolutely. Does that mean God will see us through the most difficult of situations? For sure. Now, the word picture that's implied here in the original language is that God's power is like a flowing river. And I think that's a great way to think about God's power. It's always on the move, and anything that gets in its way, it's going to overcome it. 
See, the, the, the power of a river, the currents can be extremely strong. If you've ever tried to swim against the current, you know how difficult that can be. It feels like you're not getting anywhere. And in fact, if it's a really strong current, you're not getting anywhere. You're probably losing ground. But if you're swimming with the current, if you're swimming with God's power in conjunction with God's power, it's so much easier. You can swim so much farther and so much faster with less effort because it's God's power. This makes me think of a, of a quote from N.T. Wright that I want to share with you. It's from the book, Small Faith, Big God. And he writes, And so it is when our weakness swims in the stream of God's almighty power. Our God is the God who gives power to the faint. I love it that God gives power to the faint. In fact, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that God not only gives power to the faint, but that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. I mean, can anyone here use some power today? (laughs) I know I could, right? And so the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me. You know, I remember a time in my mid to late 20s when I, I was exhausted and I didn't know if I was going to make it. I used to work for a, a marketing firm and we were in financial services and we, we got involved in a series of high-risk, high-yield investment ventures. And I recruited a network of financial professionals from around the country. We had thousands of clients who invested money in these programs. And for the first two years, it was awesome. <laughs> they were performing well. People were making a ton of money. Everybody was happy. But after about two years, one by one, almost every one of those started to take a turn and went south. And so every day I took phone calls from upset investors, upset financial professionals, attorneys. I had to go to bankruptcy hearings. I had to go to receivership hearings. And to make matters worse, everyone else that worked at the company that I worked for either just quit or went into hiding. (laughs) Nobody else wanted to take those calls. Nobody else did take those calls. But I took them day after day after day for two and a half years. And I couldn't do anything to help. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't do anything to make it better. I I felt helpless. It was the most difficult, most humiliating season in my life probably to date. But in my weakness, God's strength was made perfect. And I look back on that time now, and as brutal as it was, it was a really strong mile marker in my faith journey. Because I know there's no way I would have made it through that without God. The only reason I was able to hang in there and take those calls day after day after day is because God's power was flowing through me when everybody else bailed. So I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I I don't know what you're facing. Maybe you're helpless. Maybe you're worn out like I was. Maybe you're confused. But I want to encourage you that you can trust in God's power for this time. You can trust in God's power to get you through this. He is faithful and He will see you through. That's what gives us the courage to not give up in the hard times, to keep our head above water and to keep swimming. Now, not all of us are in a place of difficulty right now, which is great. For some of you, I'm sure things are going pretty well. And I rejoice with you on that. I'm I'm happy for you. I'm thankful for that. And so maybe you can't really relate to this way that God's power helps us. So maybe this one will speak more to where you are today than the other one, and that's that Jesus gives us the power to partner with God. See, when God places His dream in your heart, no obstacle can stand in the way of His purpose for you. You God often likes to call us into something new. God often likes to stretch us 
and have a step out of our comfort zone and do something where he has to show up. He might be calling you to embrace a new mission or maybe he's put a new dream on your heart. Maybe he's calling you to serve on a ministry team. Maybe you've heard his call to start mentoring someone or to reach people in your neighborhood. There's a need that needs to be met and he's calling you to be part of the solution. I don't know about you guys, but I know when God puts something new in my heart, there's always mixed emotions. There's always some excitement, but there's also always feelings of fear and doubt. I don't think I'm qualified. I wonder if I have enough experience or if I have the ability to do what he's calling me to do. I think about all the things that could go wrong and how I could mess it up. That's how I felt when I heard God calling me to go to college in Utah. That's how I felt when I became a dad. That's how I felt when I heard God call me into full-time ministry. That's how I felt when I heard God call me to start a YouTube channel to help reach people with the gospel who probably would never step foot into a church. And I'm sure you can fill in the blank with whatever experience God has called you into something new. But when God calls you into something new, He'll equip you with His power. So my point is, it's easy to think of all the things that can stand in your way or disqualify you or keep it from being a success. But if the power of God is for you and in you, like we've looked at today, there is no obstacle that can stand in your way when God puts something on your heart. You've probably heard it said before, but God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So where has God been calling you to join Him? Where has God been calling you to step out in faith recently? If the dream is from God, He has given you the power to do it. So step out and do it. Take that next step, whatever it is. Now, you may be asking, well, how do I know if the call is from God? How do I know if he's the one who put this dream on my heart? And that's a, that's a good question to ask. That's a fair question to ask. Because it's easy for us to put our own desires in the way and say that they're from God. So here's just a couple of practical ways to determine if the dream on your heart is from the Lord. Number one, spend time in his word. Really spend time in his word and let his word speak to you. Because one thing I can guarantee you is his word is the final authority. He will never call you to do something that's contrary to his word. Number two, just slow down. (laughs) Just slow down and really spend some time alone with God. Just seeking his heart, just asking him to speak into your heart what he's calling you to do. And I would encourage you to make sure you spend time in, in confession and repentance. That way, if there's anything that's hindering your ability to hear from him, you can get that out of the way. Number three, talk to trusted friends who love Jesus. Tell them what you think God has put on your heart and ask them to pray with you. Ask them to speak into your life. Ask them to identify maybe strengths and or weaknesses that would impact your ability to follow through on that. And then number four, and I think this is the big one, err on the side of faith. (laughs) And we've all heard the saying, err on the side of caution. Who wants to live a life where we err on the side of caution? Err on the side of faith. If you feel like God's calling you to step out and do it, take the plunge. Step out and see what happens. You know, Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 should encourage us in this. It says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Does that verse get you excited? That God, through His mighty power that is at work within you, can do infinitely more than you can even think to ask? And I hope that would get us excited. I hope we have a sense of that this morning, that God wants to use us. 
So for those of you who are feeling tired or overwhelmed today, I just want you to know Jesus' power is for you. For those of you who feel like God has put a new dream on your heart, I want you to know that his power is for you. My hope is that you and I would live lives that are astonished at the things God is doing in us and around us. That we would live lives where we see God do what only God can do on a regular basis. And if as followers of Christ we're not living those kind of lives, why not? Is it because we're afraid? Is it because we lack faith? We lack courage? See, when we don't step out of our comfort zone, we don't give ourselves the opportunity to see God do what only He can do. Or maybe it's that we've been seeking the wrong kind of power. I mean, think about it. No one expected mighty God to come as a babe and to be born in a stable. No one expected Him to wash feet like only the lowest servants would do. No one expected Him to touch the untouchable. No one expected him to go to the cross and die a criminal's death. They thought he would come with military might. They thought he would be a conquering king. See, too often we look for for power in the wrong places. We look for power in titles or in our bank account or in our own strength or in our own authority. And there is some power in that. But any time we look for power outside of Jesus Christ, it's only temporary. It's just a mist, really. So this Christmas, let's not miss the mighty God who wasn't just present that first Christmas. He's present here and now. And He wants to work in us and through us. The God who wants to move through us. So I want to close with this. I want to ask you, where do you need God's power right now? In fact, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want to ask you to just close your eyes for just a moment. And just in the silence of this moment, in the stillness that we have, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to finish this sentence. Jesus, I need your power to... And you fill in the blank. Jesus, I need your power to... Now what just happened when you prayed that prayer? I can guarantee you one thing that happened. God heard you. God is very near, God is very present, and He hears our prayers. 2,000 years ago, God broke into this world as a baby. He broke through time and space and came as Emmanuel, God with us. And today, He wants to break into our world. He wants to break into our hearts. He wants to break through the noise, through the facade, and through the distraction. And when He does that, just like on that first Christmas, your world will never be the same. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you did break through that first Christmas. We thank you, God, that that you didn't desire the comforts of heaven more than you desired a relationship with us. God, I know that there are people in this room right now that, that kind of fall into both of the different categories we talked about. Lord God, there are people in this room right now that are just barely hanging on. Lord God, would you give them your power? And God, if they've been swimming against the current, if they've been trying to do things in their own strength and on their own power, God, I just pray that they would surrender that to you and they would swim with the current. They would be swept away by the the fierce power that you offer them. The power that you say is for us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And God, for others in this room that, that are not in that place, they're in a great place, but, but you've put a new dream on their heart. You've put a new calling on them. You're asking them to step out in faith. You're asking them to step out of their comfort zone. God, would you just give them your power right now? Or God, would they stand on the promise in your word that if you have called them to do something, you will equip them to do it? Help them to take that first step. Lord God, we need your power. 2020 has been tough. People are struggling. There's divisiveness. Now, there's just a lot of anger right now. And so, God, we pray for your power. We pray for your power to move through us, that we would be peacemakers, that we would reach out, that we'd be compassionate, God. And again, we thank you that we can do that, not because of our own strength, not because of our own goodness, but because of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your great sacrifice. We pray all this in your name. Amen.